Welcome to the After the Breach podcast. We're your hosts, Jeff Friedman and Sarah Shimazu from San Juan Island, Washington. And we're working um, as professional guides and captains with Maya's Legacy Whale Watching. And we had a pretty cool encounter at the end of last month that we wanted to share with you as soon as we got off the boat. Of course, it's our busy season, so it's taken us some time um, to get that out to you. But luckily for us, Monica, who's been a guest on the podcast, was also out on her own research vessel with Orca Behavior Institute and witnessed it as well. So she's joining us this evening. And Monica, thanks for joining us. Yeah, always happy to be here. And before we kind of get into it, we wanted to discuss some recent sightings uh, that have been happening in the area. Jeff, you've been out on the water a lot. Um, I think we all have kind of in, and on shore as well in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's it's been amazing. Uh, I was just looking at at some of our numbers from our tours and we are right around 90% of our tours so far in 2023 have seen whales. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's it's really high. And we've had lots of, of bigs around lately. And the humpbacks seem to be really coming back, including uh, Big Mama. Yeah. Is, is back. We were, I think we were kind of wondering. Where she was. Yeah. But uh, she made an appearance. Yeah, I think right after we published our last episode, she showed up and was around for a week and a half and now has kind of moved into her other feeding grounds, I think probably further north. Yeah. And we have our first uh, mom calf pair, but I don't think anybody has been out to get IDs on those two, but they were seen from shore from a distance. Yeah. Yeah. I think I saw that on the whale settings page. Yeah. Olympus. Um, oh, was oh, the female. Yeah. I didn't Very know cool. we had an I, ID. Very cool. Yeah. I don't think there was a confirm. Confirmed calf, but uh, hopefully, but at least one of them was Olympus, and she is a, a female, so could be. Awesome. And Monica, Orca Behavior Institute posted their May 2023 killer whale sightings just today, I saw. Yeah, uh, third year in a row, there's been bigs confirmed in the Salish Sea every single day in the month of May. That seems to be the, the new normal, um, especially in these spring months. Um, over a hundred different individual members of the big killer whale population, uh, were here or at least paid a visit. Some of them spending pretty much the entire month here. Uh, so there's been a lot of action out there. Yeah. Here's looking at you, uh, T124 Ds and 71 Bs. <laughs> what was it like seven weeks? Seven, yeah. It was like seven weeks down in, in Puget Sound. So for those, those of you who aren't familiar with exactly where the, the boundaries of the Salish Sea uh, goes all the way down into Puget Sound and then all the way up north to Campbell River, BC. And then out west to the entrance of the Strait of Juan de Fuca. Um, well, speaking of whales we see here in the Salish Sea and how far they roam, hmm. just the last couple of days, T65Bs, who we talked about in our Meet the Mantra Line section on our last episode, um, have been seen in Monterey Bay. The last couple of days. It's so incredible because we always talk about this with our guests before the tour of how uh, how the bigs travel in these small groups from southeast Alaska and then down through the Salish Sea and they can go as far south as, as northern California. And it's always awesome when we get an example of this. Um, I think the last one that we knew of were, were the 37 A's. And now we have the 65 B's and it was fast too, that they were seen here. And then, then they've been seen the last couple of days in Monterey Bay. Yeah. May 23rd is the last day we had confirmation of them in the central Salish sea here in the um, Southern Gulf islands. So that's uh, just under two weeks, I think, and something like 11 or 1200 miles. 
with a new little calf. Yeah, with a new calf. <laughs> right. Amazing. Uh, yeah, slipstreams, right? Like it's got to be <laughs> pulling pulling you along to California. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And as far as I know, I've never heard of of any of the 65As or Bs or T65 or 63 being seen down that far. Yeah, to my knowledge, I, I haven't heard of that either. And it sounded like um, they were maybe associating with some of the CA or California bigs down there. So there's really more uh, blurred boundaries between the different bigs killer whale populations, which is something we don't see with the different resident killer whale populations. So I suspect they may intermingle even more than we know. I think yeah. I think so too. And I, I, it, I may not be 100% correct in, in remembering this, but I believe that one... I was having a conversation at one point with Jared Towers, and he said that that off the once you get out to the outer coast, that they are kind of mixing together out there. So I definitely think that that there are are very blurry lines between the California bigs and and the Pacific Northwest. There's some big bigs. parties going on out there, that and, were and big Alaska as well. I yeah. think it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean it. Before we get into this, but we, yeah, with the boys that have spent, you know, most of their life up in Alaska, but um, I digress. We'll get to that in a minute, but uh, we still had some other cool sightings recently. T-123s kind of made their, not return because they'd been here earlier, but they'd been gone for a while and then showed back up. And and they're always fun to see because everybody loves Stanley. Stanley. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the T-124As have been around a lot, which a I'm lot. loving. Yeah. Uh, oh, they're, they're a fun young family to see with uh, the the ter- the two terrible twos. <laughs> Almost, yep, yeah, they're there. Two, uh, two two-year-old girls, um, one, one is the aunt of the other, and uh, they're fun fun to watch. They're, uh, it's a young, dynamic family. And, and they, yeah, they've been around a lot. Really cool to see T124A1 back yes. with uh, her match line as well. You know, she roams quite a bit. Um, from a pretty young age, and we've seen her periodically back with them, but I don't recall her spending this much time with them in quite a while. Yeah, it has been a while. I think at least a few years since I've seen her back with a family for you know such an extended period of time, I guess. And the T65As came back finally, this week after, after <laughs> a, a long absence um, and came came back in and went straight down to Puget Sound like they've been doing the last few years. Well, of course, the 71Bs and 124Ds finally vacated the area. So, I th- You know, I think that's funny, and I think I've noticed that in the last couple of years. It's like they, they don't want to be down in Puget Sound when there are other families down there. It's like they like to have it to themselves. The 65As specifically? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like they, they're going to wait till everybody else leaves. And then they're going to go down there and, and camp out for a few weeks. And they made their uh, trip into Hood Canal today. So I did see that. <laughs> they do love Hood Canal. They do love Hood Canal. And we'll um, we'll try. We'll we'll hopefully post the graph, Monica, if that's okay, of the sightings for May um, twenty twenty three. Um, but in that map, we'll have you know Hood Canal. We'll try to point out where these places are for those of you that aren't familiar with the area. Um, and last but certainly not least, uh, J-Pod made a return back. So they, was it April 30th they left last? Yeah, they were out in the Strait of Juan de Fuca on April 30th, kind of making what has been their spring exit in the month of April. Um, and for an entire month, the only word we had of them was uh, sighting off Tofino, which seems to be their, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where they've been popping up at least once or twice in the month of May. 
Um, and then we were wondering if they were going to put up another zero for the month of May. Um, four out of the last six years, we have had no Southern residents at all in the month of May, which still just blows my mind. Um, didn't, didn't it used to be like 28 days on average in May? It was high. I mean, it was it was just J-Pod. We didn't see a lot of K's and L's, but they, yeah, they used to be doing their regular circuit here uh, all throughout May, and that that is no longer the case. But uh, the night of May 30th after dark, they were heard on the lime kiln hydrophone, and then uh, they hung out for about six days, uh, kind of doing their circuit up to the mouth of the Fraser River, doing a couple days of the west side shuffle on the west side of San Juan Island, and uh, happy to report we did see all 25 members of J-Pod. So um, after an absence, I always like to take an extra close look. And, and everybody was here. Yeah, for sure. And Jeff, you got out to the west side. I finally got out to the west side on coincided with one of my days off. It's been, I think, four years since wow. I've been yeah, able 2020, to get out I think. to the west side to see J-Pod. Um, so that was that was pretty cool. It was, uh, it was a, a really nice experience. And now they've gone back out and they've made, made an exit. Any, uh, any predictions on when they're coming back? Because June the last few years has been pretty light with them as well. It has, but last year they, they were in and out a bit in June. So I'm hopeful Jays will be back here in the next week or two, um, if it's anything like last year. And then if recent patterns also hold, we might see K-Pod um, in early July. Yeah, I'm really curious to see when K's and L's come in. I mean, I can't remember the last time I personally saw K's and L's. I mean, it's been, it's been, I, I don't, I think I saw one match line from L-Pod last year. And yeah, I it, don't believe I saw K's. I think it was probably 2020 when we were really, like in, in September and October of 2020 when we were really seeing them last for, you know. Yeah, we have had a lot of people asking about K's and L's and it's, it's not, unusual for them to not be here this time of year that's always been the case they just usually you know would come back in in june or july and then spend most of the summer here and now they're only making brief visits throughout the summer but um it's not concerning you know that we haven't seen them here um since january there was that report of them uh down in monterey um but we really don't get to do a full survey of um the southern resident population all three pods you know until until they've all returned to the sailor sea which has been later in the summer and, and center for whale research gets to do out get out and and do their census so uh, we've had lots of people asking about k's and l's and and we don't have an update yet but that's not concerning that's not unusual for this time of year i and for me i i think it's actually encouraging that all three pods are changing their historical patterns because one of we get this question so much on the boats is why don't why don't they adapt and to me that is they are adapting they are changing their older patterns to newer patterns and that is probably benefiting them to finding new places or going to places where they will have more food yeah it's a positive sign for sure that they're you know, I think asking them to switch to eating marine mammals is is too big of an <laughs> in, in, ask. In one generation. Yeah, yeah but uh, the fact that they're shifting habitat usage in response to prey availability is a good thing, as long as there are areas for them to go where there are more fish. But we've had actually, you know, at or above historic numbers of days of them in Puget Sound in the fall, and that reflects those strong chum salmon runs that are returning to Puget Sound. So they, they are coming in more um, at you know, a different time of year than they used to be here historically. But 
Um, we've actually got a, a five-year summary sightings paper uh, coming out here in the next couple weeks, and it really highlights that we now have the southern residents here more from October to March than we do from April to at least August. Um, September's still been pretty high, but it's it's kind of flipped from what it was 20 years ago. Sure. That's well, congratulations on that paper being accepted, by the way. Thanks. Yeah, looking forward to seeing that. Um, and that that's the other part of this that I find fascinating is... Uh, there, you know, there's still so much information out there that is that says, oh, the best time to see southern residents in around the San Juan Islands is May through September, and it's completely changed for it, seeing the southern residents in the inland waters. It is, it is fall and winter. It's, it is kind of mind blowing how hard it is to get that information out there. I mean, that type of documentation and data is one of our original motivations to start Orca Behavior Institute was track these things, get these numbers out there. But a lot of the seasonal management protections are still summer based and that's, that's not when they're here anymore. So we need to find a way to really, you know, emphasize what's happening now and, and make sure that any protections we're putting into place are at the right time of year when they're actually using these waters. Right. And in the right locations where they're using these waters that too uh not you know not where they used to be um and specifically you know where they're foraging is is most important absolutely absolutely and then it's it's amazing too with bigs killer whales are like you said every day in may and that is it's i i think where we're trending uh because of their food supply in the inland waters and in the salish sea and where their their population is exploding I, I think we're going to get to a place where if there's enough uh, eyes on the water to collect the data, we'll have them uh, at least one member from the bigs or one match line here every day of the year. Yeah, I don't doubt that they're here every day of the year, um, but we, you know, don't always hear about them, especially when the the weather's worse and the daylight hours are shorter um, sure. in the winter time. But um, it's been amazing to document. I mean, we're pretty much maxing out days present from spring, summer, fall with bigs. That's why we're starting to track things like number of different groups or number of different whales to quantify how they're still increasing because you can't get any higher than 31 days in May. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And it'll be good to have new tools available um, for not just seeing, but also hearing because Obi has a sponsored hydrophone now in San Juan Channel. Yes, we're very excited to get that up and running. Um, a North San Juan Channel node of uh, an orcasound.net hydrophone. Um, so, you know, just missed, I think, the window for hearing the Southern residents in San Juan Channel. That's something they tend to do in kind of October to March. We get jays through there. But hopeful um, with all these bigs around that at some point soon we'll get our first uh, whale vocalizations uh, over that new hydrophone. Yeah, we do. We do do tend to get um, some, you know, at, at least attempted and probably successful <laughs> stellar sea lion hunts in that in that general area too. So hopefully, we'll get some cool uh, post hunt celebration vocalizations. And who knows, maybe some uh, humpback oh, sounds yeah. in the fall, absolutely, and, and early winter would be really cool. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys ready to dive into this kind of cool encounter we had on May 20th? Yeah. Let's talk about the Alaska boys. <laughs> I mean, they're all Alaskan, right? They I all know. Go I know. But there's something about that name, the Alaska brothers. I know. You, you I, like I, the I like, like Butcher Boys, Alaska Boys. I get it. I do. Um, 
but I was thinking we could kind of go through with the facts of it first and then maybe like what I know we all had our little interpretations of what was going on. But and I think both of you were on the water longer that day than I was. Mm, Yeah, maybe I, I had I had one tour, one trip in the afternoon. It's well, really, it was just the afternoon, really, that it happened. I mean, but tracking tracking what happened that day, I mean, it really shows the collaboration in the community that we have here because nobody was with them for this entire day. Right. Yet the observations that occurred from, you know, half a dozen different people really allowed us to kind of piece the story together as at least as much as we know, which is really cool. That's it's a good point. The observe when you put the observations together, it was I think they were found pretty early, like around 10, 10 30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then observations went all the way to, you know, past nine o'clock you know, around, around last light. Yeah. Yep. So when Jeff says the Alaska boys, um, the two whales that he's referring to are T one twenty five a and his presumed older brother T one twenty eight, uh, T one twenty five a born in 1998 to T one twenty five, and T one twenty eight, who though he has a higher number is actually an older whale, uh, presumed son of T125, born in 1988. So the Alaska brothers. So potentially so, brothers. <laughs> all right. So can we ba- like backtrack about them? Because yes, they're like, relatively new to me because they were not seen here for uh, very often or, or there was a yeah. long absence. Um, but the last few years, they've, they've come down to the Salish Sea and have spent some, some quality time down here. Yeah. So they're a pretty cool family. Um, it's a family of four all together. So T125, the mom, and then uh, her three sons, uh, T127, T128, which just like Chainsaw T63 with the meet the matriline last episode, um, those two boys were too old to be obviously confirmed absolutely for sure that they're her offspring, but long-term association kind of dictates that they're probably her sons. And then her uh, only confirmed son, T-125A. And so they were not here a lot. Um, But on June 2nd, 2015, I got out on the water and in Boundary Pass came upon the T-65As in this family. And it was a pretty cool sight because T-127, we'll put a photo of him up, has this kind of really mangled dorsal fin. Hacksaw. Hacksaw. (laughs) Yeah. And he's not been here that much since then. Uh, I think just a couple of sightings, him and mom. Um, I think I was out there that day because I think I do somewhere have a photo. Yeah, they were super social, um, lots and lots of interaction and socializing with the 65As. So the the four of them on that 2015 visit were around for a few days at least. Mm -hmm. But since then, they seem to have split into these two pairs of mom and the oldest, T127, and then the two brothers. Right. And prior to 2015... They hadn't been seen here in 22 years. 22 years. That's That's amazing. That's what Dave Dave said that day. Still sticks out to me in my mind. Yeah, that's (laughs) mind-blowing. That is is absolutely mind-blowing. So after 22 years, they decide, okay, let's go check check back in down in the Salish Sea. And the yeah. brothers are like, hey, we like this place. <laughs> so the, yeah, so the two brothers have been coming back here. Yep, they've been, I think they've been back almost every year since then. They they have. Every year. Okay, perfect. And it, it feels like they, and Monica, you have the, the data on this. I, I just have the anecdotal, but it, it does feel like they're spending more time here than they that each year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if it's, it's steadily been going up, but it's definitely more in recent years than it was 
early on. Right. And it's not a, an ongoing presence. They come in and, and leave and then mm-hmm. they come back and they'll be here for a few days at a time. But it does seem like we see them more often now than definitely like, you know, eight, nine years ago when I first started, um, de- definitely in my first few years, it de- definitely seems like we're seeing them more often. And I feel like they're kind of spring whales. Is that right? Like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they are show up in the fall too, but, but I, yeah, I, I do feel like they're kind of here like late winter through. I think that's when they spend most of their summer. time here. They've, they've made some visits possibly other times a year, but spring seems to be when they kind of do the whole Salish sea tour. I did have them. I don't, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but I did have them on a summer, one of our all day tours. And, uh, they were, uh, killing, killing seals down off of Port Townsend. Oh, I remember that day. Like yeah. uh, actually south of there, almost, I mean, we got them almost in, in Hood Canal. Yeah, that was after, I think you got on scene after I did. I think it was an earlier tour, but yeah, I remember that. Um. So anyway, back to May 20th, yes, since we've May kind 20th. of introduced the family and their history. So let's talk about what happened that day. Yeah, so I was not out in the morning, um, but Monica, maybe, I know you kind of talked with um, some friends of ours, Amanda from Sailor Sea School, and um, some other folks that were viewing from private boats or from shore, but the two were found, and they were pretty split up, I think, like by a mile. A mile, yeah, that's what all all of the early reports that I saw um, kept saying, that they were spread really far. Yeah, so they were down by Smith Island, south of Lopez Island, and started heading north up Rosario Strait between the San Juan Islands and uh, the mainland. And yeah, they stayed one to two miles apart, which nothing too alarming about just that. Um, Sometimes, you know, they they spread out like that. Um, They briefly came together, and it looked like T-125A caught a seal and was maybe... Uh, carrying it for a little while uh, in close proximity to T-128. And then they split right after that. And uh, T-128 went west through Thatcher Pass and T-125A continued north up Rosario Strait. So at this point, they're like, there's no line of sight or for like vocal communication or like they have an island in between them. Right. And this is something we see with Biggs. Oh, frequently, yeah, right? Where they right. split, they know it's an island. They somehow agree that we're going to go <laughs> on each side and meet up on the other side. Only so, they didn't meet up. Only they didn't meet up. <laughs> so Jeff and actually Monica, you guys got on scene with T-128 kind of inner island, like west side of Blakely Island. Is that right? Yeah. And he was just hanging out, kind of doing long dives, zigzagging, going back and forth, uh, didn't seem like he had a destination in mind at that point in time. It was the, the key to that, I think, the back and forth. I mean, he was going up the island and, and like right before he would get to um, Peavine Pass, which w- would lead him back out to Rosario Strait, or at least in vocal range, he'd turn around and come back down towards Thatcher. And then uh, as soon as he would get to the entrance of Thatcher to get back into Rosario and get into line of sight with his brother, he'd turn around. And it <laughs> was just back and uh, forth. You know, sometimes we see pacing behavior that maybe looks intense or stressed. Mm-hmm. And this was not that. This was very casual. casual. But <laughs> we noticed that he had some pretty severe new rake marks on his dorsal fin. Yeah. And I didn't see him, but I saw your photos. And I mean, it was up the 
almost entire length of his dorsal fin and like deep on yeah it was definitely marks on both sides um deeper it kind of wounds it looked like on the left side Mm -hmm. of his dorsal fin but uh seemed consistent with rake marks from another killer whale and this and rake marks on killer whales isn't uncommon um we see that a lot but these were pretty pronounced yeah usually they're not like this deep yeah they don't they don't usually break the skin to the point that there's scar tissue emerging right right right. but that was the case here and we'll we'll post uh some of those photos and we'll we'll also post like a map on kind of the routes of the two whales so you guys that are not familiar with the area can kind of see and follow along with what we're talking about so um t-128 on the west side of this island the east side of the island is rosario Strait, as jeff mentioned and that's where t-125a was and he um, at this point, the tide was coming in, flooding, and so the water was moving south to north up this strait. And we, David and I, got on scene with T-125A. We just, you know, there weren't a lot of boats with him. We figured we'd go and see what was going on with that guy. Um, and he was out kind of north of the Peavine Pass area, so just north of Blakely Island in Rosario Strait. And he had been moving north when we first got on scene. And as we were coming on scene, he was pretty active, like tail throwing, slapping. I think there was even a breach. Um, and and this was at the same time that same time. both Monica and I were with uh, 128 mm-hmm. um, on the other side of the island. Yeah. So we get on scene and he turns around pretty, pretty quickly, did a, a very obvious U-turn and was just like booking it against the flood tide, not going anywhere. Like he was riding the treadmill, as we say, um, just heading south back towards the way he had come um, with a lot of intent. Like he was moving. He was trying to get somewhere and just like the the flood tide was coming in and he wasn't making any progress. But um, the one thing that was interesting is every time he'd surface, and we've seen it, like some whales will come up and they're kind of cryptic and they're low key and they're not like displacing a lot of water. He was... The opposite of that. He wasn't porpoising, but he was coming up and just displacing a lot of water. Sometimes he would roll and like slap his dorsal fin on on the surface of the water as he went down. He was just kind of, it was almost like he was trying to make a lot of noise, which is something I, you know, don't normally say about these whales. They're not like overly. Yeah, it's, it's one of our theories as to what role those, we call them percussive behaviors, right? Tail slaps, dorsal fin slaps, pec fin slaps, and they make a noise on the water. And one possible role of those behaviors is, is communication. Right. And so we were with him for probably 30 minutes while he's just doing this very consistent, like south facing, not going anywhere. And um, the other boats had left. So it was just our boat and him. And he was probably, you know, close to a half a mile off at this point and went on a long dive and then came up facing north again, but came over towards us and we could hear his vocalizations through the hull of the boat. We didn't even have a hydrophone in, but we could hear him through the aluminum hull of the boat. And he circled around us and for probably five minutes, we could hear him vocalizing. We dropped a hydrophone and it was just like a blasting sound as much as he could be calling, it was it was just kind of an interesting and intense vocalization. So bigs, even when they are vocal, a lot of times they're fairly quiet, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you drop the hydrophone and they're vocalizing, you can hear them, but they're often not the same sort of amplitude that we hear from the Southern residents. But it sounds like that was not the case here, that he was loud. Yeah, definitely not the case. And 
and uh, we'll try to get some of that vocal. I took a video. The audio is not the best, but we'll try to share some of that um some of that vo- those vocalizations and Monica, I sent the video to you, and you had some interesting um, observations about those vocalizations. Yeah, they were. I mean, they were clearly coming from him. They were big killer whale calls, but they were not calls that I could immediately recognize or match to one of their known discrete call types. So I actually sent your short clip um, to John Ford, who's acoustics expert um, on killer whales in this region. And he recognized the calls immediately as part of what he called kind of a a variable family of discrete calls, meaning that there um, there's a lot of different forms and he and his colleagues have not fully deciphered, you know, what the different call types or subtypes are. Um, So kind of an interesting family of calls that maybe is not super well known or well studied yet. Hmm. Um, so that's happening. He eventually continues south again. And Jeff, you're with T128 still. And he did something interesting. Yeah. So he came out into into Thatcher Pass. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden he transitioned from this lazy back and forth to he just took, took off. Took off. Yeah. 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 He was going fast and came out in, into Thatcher Pass uh, right around this same time that this was going on. So very likely... Um, of course, we ne- can't tell for sure, but very likely heard these mm-hmm. these, these vocals. Wasn't yeah, that far away? Based on on where he was in the strait, he should have been with an acoustic range of his brother. Right, he was definitely in had line of sight, so should have been receiving the the sound from him. But a few miles away, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did a complete about face and came <laughs> charging back into um, in, into the inner island waters into um lopez sound yeah and you came out then at that and then, point yeah we decided to leave him um there were there was another boat or two with with him and then we came out mm-hmm. um to you guys and we handed yeah handed off but i mean we were leaving at that point so jeff kind of took over and we got our the first visual of for me to identify where he was i think was he had a, a pretty sizable tail slap yeah and did you leave him going south? He was he was going south. Um, he was making some headway, and he was um, actually at not. He didn't make it all the way to Thatcher Pass, but he made it to like the Peavine and Obstruction Pass. So mm-hmm. he should have had at least some line of sight there into um, part of of the area mm-hmm. where where his brother was. Maybe yeah, it's a that's kind of tricky. Bendy there, yeah, it is like, bendy. Um, but I, it, I would believe they were still not in acoustic range of one another then. But at, at this same time, his brother was no longer going back and forth on the island. The boats were that were there were leaving him, and at this point, he was going westbound towards the Lopez Ferry landing, and it was it was getting pretty late. Right. Like we left shortly after that. And um, 125A was was still just plowing down Rosario. And um, 128 was going west towards the Lopez. Like, they were basically going um, not in opposite directions, but definitely not towards each other. So one could venture to guess that T128 knew where his brother was and T125A probably didn't. That's, you know... We, this is where the the factual account ends, right? And we enter into speculation, but we all encountered those whales at different times, but left with the same impression of the overall incident that T128 
was not really concerned about the situation, but based on the behavior, the vocalizing, the surface percussion, T125A seemed to be looking for yeah. his brother, presumably. Yeah. And just to, to backtrack a little bit, not about this encounter, but in general, and Monica, you alluded to this, to this earlier, like seeing them sp- spread out by a mile or on different sides of, of an island or even spread out by five miles. Like this is something that we see fairly often enough that, you know, they come back together and it's really just no big deal. I think our relationship with space and separation is very different from theirs, but this felt very, very different from what we normally would see when whales spread apart. Yeah. I think nothing about this was really unusual even when they went on either side of Blakely Island until they didn't meet up again on the north side of Blakely. Right. Right. That we had one whale stall out casually and one whale stall out. Not casually. With with intensity. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and obviously like, like you said, the, you know, the factual part of the encounter is, is over and now we're speculating, but it definitely felt like, like 128 was, like very casual in in this avoidance behavior. <laughs> well, and to me, like the clincher was his poking out into Rosario Strait when T125A was being loud yeah. and then immediately like rushing back out of acoustic range. Like he was checking on the status of what was going on, yeah. right? And yeah. then saying, okay, I'm I'm going back over here where I can't hear you and you can't hear me. Yeah, I think we all kind of like were wondering if those rake marks were caused by 125A and 128 was holding a little bit of a grudge. I mean, fair enough. I would too. Yeah. I mean, that looked painful. I mean, it looks like something that he will fully recover from, right? But if those were caused by 125A, you know, it was either some type of aggressive interaction between the two or... Um, we know that killer whales roughhouse with one another all the time, and that includes raking. But because of the you know the depth right. of these rake marks, that maybe he went a little too far and uh, and crossed the line. Ow, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and now uh, he's going to tell going back up north to tell mom. <laughs> I know that's the cliffhanger, right? right. Yeah. They were heading apart that evening at sunset, and we don't know what we happened. We not have, seen, have them not seen them since, or had any reports of them. Right, and that that was the like. We were all like, man, I hope they're seen tomorrow. And because uh, typically like that was their first day that they were back recently. And because they had been at, we had seen them this this year, but we hadn't seen them in a little while. And so my thinking was, well, yeah, we're going to definitely see them tomorrow because they just got back here. Like they'll be around for at least a few days, at, at like worst case, a few days. And we nobody's seen them since. I'm going to really laugh if T128 shows up with mom and older brother and T125A is still on his own. Well, it it's funny because the, the story that I've told myself in my head of how this resolved was that um, the weather like south of the San Juan Islands that next day was was rough. Like nobody nobody was going out that south. Everybody was going north. And so what I like to tell myself in my head is that uh, one, 128 um, went past the Lopez Ferry landing and went down upright channel and down San Juan channel into the Strait of Juan de Fuca and 125A kept going down Rosario Strait into the Strait of Juan de Fuca. And they met sometime during the night, 
down south and reconciled and reconciled and (laughs) said said hey bro let's let's go back we're all good let's let's go back let's go back to to mom (laughs) and obviously we're just like interpreting their behavior this is in no way factual but at the same time you know killer whales are intelligent we know they're wired for complex emotions and they have these lifelong social bonds and if you're hanging out with another individual all day every day you know it's not a stretch to say there are going to be conflicts they're not always going to get along right and we have to speculate about the details of that but it's certainly within the realm of i think what we would expect to happen is you know two brothers getting into a fight is a completely reasonable explanation for for that behavior i think jeff can probably concur that that's true I've never, never had a fight with my brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I mean, you're right. It's, it's to not speculate that there was something unusual going on, uh, like, like what you're saying, makes no sense when, you know, for not just, not just the three of us in, in this room, but all of the people that contributed to the observations that day who spent thousands of, or tens of thousands of hours around killer whales and, take this one encounter and are all kind of leaning in that same direction of this felt like it wasn't a typical something different going right, on. Right. Here. right. There is something going on very intentionally right. with their split. And as you both have said, none of their behaviors were odd for big killer whales, but in the context of knowing these two brothers and having observed them many, many times over the years, this was odd. Yes. Definitely. Like there was definitely something going on. And then we have the clue of these deep rake marks. Yeah. Right. And they were, I mean, we're not experts in this regard, but it seemed like they were not completely fresh. Like they hadn't just happened, but maybe within the last couple of days. Right. Yeah. That's what it looked like to me. And again, not an expert, but right. And of course it's, it's possible that, you know, if, if they listen to this podcast, <laughs> that they'd be like, Oh my God, you guys are such idiots. One has nothing to do with the other. Like he just <laughs> insulted me, but the rake marks weren't his. I mean, yeah. Well, it if, you, if you're listening, please call in. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Explain, Cause there are many people that would love to know. <laughs> you can just text us. We don't, don't even have to call, but I, there were people that were, also expressing concern that if they got permanently split up. And I just want to clarify too, that we see adult male killer whales on their own regularly as well. And they're completely self-sufficient. So even if they remain separated or there is some long-term damage to their relationship, they're, they're both going to be fine. You know, the, the injury wasn't anything right. severe enough that we would expect any long-term health impacts to T128. And I'm certain they're both capable of, you know, foraging on their own without the help of their brother. So in terms of the their individual well-being, I don't think there's anything concerning about this going forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah we absolutely see lots not. of independent males um, and they bounce around with other groups. And so, and so do the two Alaska brothers. I mean, we, we see them not just together, um, by themselves, we, we see them with, with other families as well. Yeah. And it's just, the more time that passes, the less we will even know about the next piece of this story. Right. But I think we're all waiting with bated breath for when are they next <laughs> seen and are they together or are they not together is really the big question. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's funny. Every time I, um, get a report of um, two whales, of two whales, I'm like, <laughs> is it them? Is it them? <laughs> and so, all, yeah. So Jeff, you think they reconciled? I, I think they reconciled. What do you think, Sarah? 
Yeah, I, I, I think they probably did. I, I'm I'm kind of leaning towards the fact that maybe not that night, but yeah, I think they I think they'll show up the next time together. I think I think so too. I think so too. It, it'll be really interesting if we, if they don't. If they don't, yeah. Yeah. What if they totally mix it up and it's like T one twenty eight with T one twenty five and T one twenty seven with T one twenty five A. Oh, mom has to intervene and separate them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's possible too. Yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully, not another twenty-two years. Oh no, <laughs> no. Oh, that would be awful. So, what? As far as their distribution, I mean, so where um, in the distribution uh, maps for them? Where where have they been documented um, up in Alaska? How far? I think I think they've been a lot off like Haida Gwaii and uh, mm-hmm. Central BC as well, right? Yeah, Haida Gwaii, like North Island. There's really not a whole lot of like in the sighting map that um, you know Jared and and everyone he collaborated with to put together the ID guide in 2019. Um, there was one sighting up near Juneau. Um, yeah, but really mainly Haida Gwaii. And there's kind of like a cluster of sightings, like right off the north tip of Haida Gwaii, and then a couple on the southeast side. Right. I mean, this is all with the caveat that the further north you get, basically, like you're not going to have as many documented right. sightings right. Of, of any any match line. Yeah, it's a lot of wilderness out there and rough seas. So we'll definitely keep everybody posted as, uh, and, and we'll talk about uh the the alaska voice when T- we tune uh, in 22 years from now yeah, with right, the right, right right i i i don't know that we're gonna be podcasting quite that long but you never know we'll see maybe we'll have to do a special episode in 22 years i hadn't it's even not t- i hadn't even considered that possibility <laughs> now i'm just like i i can't i can't wait that long hopefully we don't have to maybe tomorrow they'll show up Oh, that would be great. There, there is something about uh, the mystery. But, uh, well, there's something uncanny about about killer whales that when you, you they very well may show up tomorrow, um, and we'll have to reconvene because I won't be putting this out tomorrow. We'll right. have to reconvene. To t- so if there's a postscript added, right, right, exactly. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is it is uncanny how they kind of like. Um, who was uh, who was it? We were just talking about a family, or a, or maybe it was a oh, it was a humpback. It was um, it was a humpback that we were talking about that we hadn't seen yet that showed up the next day. Oh, Big Mama. No, it wasn't Big Mama. It was Valiant. Oh, but Big Mama did that too. We were yeah. talking about her, and then she showed up the next day. But yeah, Valiant as well. Yeah. So whales have a a, a weird a sense of timing with this. So I actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm pretty sure we're going to see these two tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> or at least one of the two. Yeah. No, both of them. Both of them. So we will keep everybody updated. Um, we do have a photo workshop coming up. We do in September. So we'd love love for you to join us on that. If you're interested, you can email us. And it's also on our website now. It uh, is on our website, afterthebreachpodcast.com. But it's September 23rd and 24th, two days, full days on the water. And you don't have to sign up for both days. You can sign up for one day. We're going to go out and just see what we can find. Monica's been out with us on our all-day trips in the fall, and hopefully she can say that they're amazing. They um, are amazing. And <laughs> September is my favorite month it on is the water here. my favorite month, too. It's just beautiful. It's the, we get 
typically great weather and there's just something about September whales. Yeah. Definitely get a lot of groups of bigs and on hopefully on, on the days that we're out with this photo workshop, we get quite a few days of, of these very, very big aggregations of actively feeding humpbacks. And just throwing it out there, we also get puffins too. We do get puffins. Which I know, side note, this is a whale podcast, but did you guys see that the horned puffin showed back up at Smith Island? Yeah, I did yeah. see that. Very cool. Yeah. I didn't see it last year, but hopefully this year. And if you come out for the photo workshop, September is the month that we still have a Southern residents around uh, to the degree that we kind of used to historically. So spend a couple extra days on San Juan Island, hang out on the West side. And, you know, that's yeah. when people ask about seeing them from shore here. I told them uh, a few days on the West side in September is your best bet. Yeah, and it's magic. It it is it's such a great time to be here, and the weather's still nice. We it's sunny. It's probably our least windy month, mm-hmm. so like glassy, glassy seas. Yeah. Well, now you've jinxed it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Thanks, no. No, Jeff. no, 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 no. That's you always <laughs> say that, but I I'm saying I'm not jinx. I don't jinx the weather. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Monica. Thanks so much for coming on and recapping this kind of interesting encounter with us of course happy to be here as always and yeah if you guys have any questions or suggestions on topics you'd like to hear feel free to drop us a message on our instagram account or on our facebook page or send us an email at after the breach podcast at gmail.com and we'll look for you next time all right sarah stay safe out there (laughs) 